You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Um, those of you that are new, my name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church. The team did a great job. Will you give them a big round of applause? Yeah. There you go. Hey, uh, our team, uh, Pastor Joshua is over uh, on the Navajo Nation this morning, and so I want to give a special acknowledgement to all the men uh, that are on that trip right now. They're, I got a text message this morning. Uh, they finished up their devotional and going back out to finish up the project. So for all you ladies that uh, are holding down the fort while the men are gone, good job. So uh, thank you for giving. Thank you for serving so that we can make those improvements. We're bringing water uh, to an area that did not have water before. We're bringing a bathroom to an area that did not have a bathroom to help bless and build up the local church there. And so great job. Can we celebrate that just for a moment? Um, uh, well, this morning, before I get started, I'm going to be jumping back into the Gospel of John, ja- John chapter 7, verses 40 through 44. Uh, we're in a teaching series called Journey. Um, this is a series within uh, a context of the Gospel of John. We've probably done five or six series in the Gospel of John. We're in uh, chapter 7. This is probably the 40th message or so in the Gospel of John. We'll take a few years to work through it. Um, but however, we're going to take a break coming up in not next week, but the following week. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a five-week series called The Unapologetic Truth about uh, marriage and parenting. And so it'll be a great series to help strengthen, clarify, give direction for marriage and then for parenting as well. School's starting back up. Summer's almost over. I can't believe it. Uh, my wife and kids just got back. My wife's been gone for two weeks down in Texas and Arkansas. Uh, she rolled in uh, last, uh, y- uh, yesterday afternoon. My son came in from serving as a camp leader up in Washington for three weeks. So last night was like a family reunion. The Rice, hold, uh, Rice household was rocking. We had a great time. But I'm tired. We stayed up really, really late. And they all said, we're going to sleep in this morning. I said, well, I got to go to church, baby. So uh, I'm here. Uh, they're asleep. Maybe they're on the couch watching live stream. So um, uh, we're going to have a great time this morning. School's starting up, though, in just a couple of weeks. A couple things. I just want to acknowledge all the teachers and thank you. It's been a tough few years with being a teacher. Let's give our teachers a round of applause. Um, as well, I, I want to mention as well, I've brought some concerns to you as a congregation about some of the uh, teaching of uh, gender fluidity within the public school system. Um, and then there's the 1619 project that's going on, and it's happening all across our country. It's happening here in Arizona, um, at least the gender fluidity. The 1619 project uh, revision of American history has been um, is illegal to teach right now at this point in time. Um, but the gender fluidity is not, and it's a very it's a new socio construct on how. Um, Uh, we see ourselves as people that your gender can switch at any point in time. Some teachers teach this, some do not. I will say Deer Valley Unified School District seems to be more conservative than some of the others. I, as a pastor and a parent, I am not anti-public school. Um, I am very concerned about public school. My my kids, Sam and Riley, will graduate from O'Connor. They started in the Deer Valley Unified School District in kindergarten. They're going to graduate. I went to a public university. I'm a public school guy. 
Um, however, I'm very concerned about some of the teaching that is going on, which is anti-Christian, anti-Bible, um, that is going on very, and it's anti-science to some level, at least anti-biology. And so I would say that it, it's a concern, and what we did, myself and some other parents in our church, we created a parent guide to help you so that when you go into meet the teacher night or in the next couple of weeks, you have a guide that's actually specified and clarified what is legal, not legal, um, what is helpful questions to ask a teacher um, about some of the things that perhaps w your child may learn or not learn. And uh, we've created that guide. We can email it to you if you want that after service. Just visit us over the connection corner. Uh, Kaylee will grab your email and then um, we'll send you a free parent guide to help assist you kind of navigating some of the tumultuous waters of uh, kind of uh, curriculum and content that has come out. So again, I want to encourage you to do that. And then we're going to have a great fall uh, coming up this year. So let me pray for all that's going on. And then we're going to jump in today's message. Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment and just say thank you that the ministry of this church extends beyond what happens here on a Sunday morning on this campus, uh, that today there is uh, many men that are gathered and they've been serving and laboring to build up another church uh, in the simplicity of helping just bring water. And we thank you for the partnership uh, with other believers and uh, others to help uh, make that happen in the building and the construction. Uh, Lord, we pray for that church Mountain Alliance Church on the Navajo Reservation, that it may be a beacon of light to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the community around them. Bless and build up the men in their uh, uh, travels and coming back, and thank you for the women uh, that have held down the fort, and we pray for your blessing and provision over our church that we continue to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. Use this time now, Lord, as we look at your word. Give clarity, encouragement, bless us all especially as we're going back into the uh, school year, uh, might we soak up and saturate ourselves with your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, well, this morning we're looking at John chapter 7, verses 40 through 44. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open it there. It's just a few verses that we're going to look at. Um, and so there's been a lot of controversy that's going on about Jesus. Um, there's a question as to who is Jesus? Um, I remember just a few years ago, I was walking around uh, the shops of Norterra, Happy Valley Town Center, uh, doing some on-the-street interviews with people about who Jesus was. So around Christmas time, I figured, hey, this would be fun. Let's go see what people think about Jesus. So I'm walking around and asking the question, who, who is Jesus to you? And one guy said, I remember, he said, well, Jesus is just an amazing prophet. He's a, he's a prophet, and that's who he is. I said, okay, great. I wasn't arguing with him or anything. Thing. And then another guy said, oh, he's just a teacher or he's a rabbi. Another person said, he's a spiritual leader. Then somebody said, he is the Lord. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is 100% God, 100% man. I'm like, dude, you know your Bible. Good job. I was like, nobody else was saying that. And then uh, he says, yeah, that's who he is. And he's my Lord. And I was like, man, that's powerful. Another guy, I started asking him questions. And he's like, hey, man, you know, you're starting to bother me. You're insulting me. You know, what, you know? and I was like, oh, okay, getting a little agitated. And he's like, what church are you from? Cover up my icon on North Valley. He's like, oh, CCV down the road. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm joking. I didn't say that. But uh, 
I just had fun getting to know what people thought about Jesus. And so um, today, what you're going to see is there's a pretty, pretty very much a very real division about who Jesus Christ is. And so um, we're going to jump into the text, uh, John 7, 40 through 44. Uh, I'll read it. It says this. Uh, when they heard these words, some of the people said, uh, this really is the prophet. Let me pause just for a moment and give you a little bit better context. Jesus had already been preaching and teaching. Uh, he stood up in front of the high priest, kind of ran up in front of him while the high priest is pouring out water on the altar. And Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. The high priest is back here going, wait a second. Why is Jesus getting in front of me? I I'm the one who's supposed to give people instruction. Some people in the crowd, as soon as Jesus says that, they're like, he is the Messiah. He's fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah that he's going to be this living water. Other people said, well, maybe he's just helping commemorate what happened with the nation of Israel when they were being led out of Egypt and Moses struck that rock and the water gushed forward and he's reminding them of that. But there was a lot of people that said, this is the Lord. Uh, Jesus, uh, he has been preaching that. And so in verse 40, you'd have to look back a few verses. But when they heard these words... The whole Jesus giving that invitation, come to me if you're thirsty. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen to what this high priest says. He's got some good words here. No, Jesus spoke up with authority, cried it out. And the, of the people, this is, they said, here's their response. Well, who is Jesus? Well, this really is the prophet. So a lot of people thought he was just a prophet and perhaps like a prophet from like in the line of like Aaron or Moses or Elijah. They knew he had a spiritual authority. So then it, others said, look what other people said. Others said, this is the what? The Christ. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one Zechariah was probably talking about. This is what, this is the real, this is the Christ. This is the Lord. This is him. So the crowd's mixed. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Verse 43, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Why is that? Because his time had not yet come. Nobody controls Jesus. He's a king. He's the Lord. He's operating in a divine time frame. He's got another uh, six to seven months before he will be crucified. The, the time on earth uh, in his earthly ministry is coming to wind down, but not yet. He's still got more time on the clock. There's controversy about him. People are referring back to the birthplace of Jesus Christ and what the scriptures have said. And if you look back earlier in, in John chapter 7, you actually see there's a lot of controversy and confusion about, oh, was he born in Bethlehem? The scriptures don't say. I mean, there's just like this crowd. If I picked you apart and I started quizzing you about Bible trivia, some of you would answer really quick and you know your stuff. Others of you would, would just be like, please leave me alone right now, you know? Um, and you wouldn't know what to say, and that's okay. This is a crowd. 
This is what Jesus is dealing with. And so the question that I'm going to ask this morning is, who is Jesus? I want to, I want to offer something perhaps that you've not heard before, some clarity. It's called biblical theology about the person of Christ. And we're going to look at Jesus Christ as not only a, as prophet, but as priest and as king. So we're answering the question, who is Jesus Christ? And what are the distinctive offices that he holds to, and how do these offices as prophet, priest, and king uh, lay out in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Uh, if you'd like more helpful reading on this, Wayne Grudem's got a chapter on this, uh, Systematic Theology, and it's Prophet, Priest, King. So I'll argue that Jesus Christ is the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, and the greatest king. So let's look at the Old Testament just for a moment so you can understand what they are. Uh, this office existed in the Old Testament. This is before the time of Jesus Christ. The prophet uh, spoke God's words to the people. Uh, you see this in Nathan when he would speak a word perhaps uh, to Samuel and, uh, and to David and to others. You see this kind of prophetic leadership in God raising up individuals in redemptive history in a prophetic office. These people had power and influence that were supernatural that do not exist in the same capacity that uh, today. Um, they could say things that, like this. Help me out, those of my friends that come from more charismatic backgrounds. Thus saith the Lord. When a prophet said that, what it meant was, this is God's word, is I've got a direct line of communication, and I can say this because this is God speaking in and through. You have to remember, back in the Old Testament, they didn't have the whole Bible. God is supernaturally revealing himself to people on earth, and he raised up prophets. In the Old Testament, um, God raised up prophets, and God for, uh, they spoke God's word to the people, um, such as Nathan and Samuel. Uh, then it, you also have the office of priest. Uh, priests uh, offered sacrifices uh, on a daily basis. They would offer them not only for other people, but for themselves. And priests were sinful people. No, they were, there was no, there's no sinless priest. Uh, every sin was an individual who struggled with sin, just like anybody else. Uh, many times this was part of a family lineage. If your family was a priest, then you'd be a priest. And uh, so they'd kind of work in this priesthood. Uh, they offered sacrifices, prayers, and praises to God. So when you read the Old Testament, you see these different uh, priests uh, throughout the scriptures. And they served uh, to represent the people to God. You couldn't get into the uh, worship services without access and connection to the priest. Uh, you had to work through the priest uh, to connect with God. And then there is the king. Uh, kings ruled over the people as God's representatives, as God's representative. And you see this in the life of King David and Solomon. And these offices clearly exist in your Bible in the Old Testament. It's very clear. God raised up prophets, God raised up priests, and God raised up kings. And he used them for his purpose and his plan to reveal who he is and what he wants for our world. So the question is, is does this office transfer into the New Testament? Um, I think it does very clearly. And actually, Christ fulfills all three of these offices. 
So you can relate to Jesus Christ as the prophet, you can relate to Jesus Christ as priest, and you can relate to Jesus as king. Here it is. Uh, so here's, I'll clarify this. Christ fulfills all three of these offices in the following ways. Prophet, Christ reveals God to us and speaks God's word to us. Jesus is the truth teller. He's a, 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 a some called him, uh, like they thought he was Eli like in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, he was definitely operating in a prophetic way. And if he said, thus saith the Lord, or this scripture is fulfilled today, and you're hearing, he spoke, and it is a, the absolute authority on any matter. Additionally, uh, Christ is priest. Uh, Christ offers both a sacrifice to God um, in dying on the cross and on behalf um, and is himself the sacrifice that is offered. Um, so Jesus Christ is, right? He is the Lamb of God. Uh, he's the one who serves as the sacrifice. So he gives the sacrifice and he is the sacrifice. Um, this is what the New Testament teaches. And then additionally, Christ is king. He rules over the church. He rules over the universe as well. So there is one king over all kings. His name is, let's try that again. There's one king and he rules over all kings and his name is Jesus. Jesus. If I ever ask you a question, just say Jesus. That's it. It's like Sunday school. What has gray hair, eats acorns, and crawls on a tree? Jesus! <laughs> That's what you ask kids, and they're going to tell you that, you know. Um, but yeah, so it is Jesus. And so here is the question, who is Jesus? Number one, you can see Jesus as prophet. Um, he is Lord, but he serves in an office of prophet. He has a very strong prophetic role throughout the scriptures. Um, what does this mean? That Christ reveals God to us. You can't experience God the Father through, without Jesus. Uh, Jesus is uh, the prophetic voice for our experience and understanding as a Christian. Uh, he speaks, he reveals God to us. This is what he was doing on earth. And people kind of sensed maybe he was a prophet and they were saying things like that. And he speaks God's word to us. When you pray, you can pray to Jesus, you can talk to Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, speaks uh, to us and, and through uh, the scriptures, we, we see that. And so he's fulfilling, I believe, Deuteronomy 18.15, Jesus is. Uh, Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18.15, which the Jewish folks that were present in the life of Jesus uh, at that time when Jesus uh, had stepped in front of the high priest uh, they perhaps, they call him a prophet, um, and this is perhaps the passage that was on their mind. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this is what Moses said, and the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses didn't have a clear understanding of exactly who Jesus Christ was, but he knew clearly that there was a, a Christ coming and he would serve in a prophetic office. And so uh, many of the folks in Jesus' day uh, would refer to him as prophet and think of him as prophet. Remember John 6, 14, um, when Jesus performed the miracle and fed the multitudes, um, it says this, John 6, 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
they thought perhaps he was like an Elijah, or they thought perhaps he was uh, maybe uh, like a Moses, uh, or maybe he was the prophet of all prophets that Moses had talked about. Um, Additionally, uh, Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Look what it says in Luke 24, 27. Uh, Luke recorded in that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that is Jesus, interpreted to them, uh, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus was constantly reading the Old Testament and finding himself to be the fulfillment of it, and so were other people. Uh, when Jesus walked into the synagogue one day and he starts reading uh, uh, from the scrolls of Isaiah and in Luke's gospel, it tells us that he walks in, uh, he picks up the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me uh, to proclaim good news for the captives. And then he finishes up his uh, preaching sermon and then says, today, all of this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, Jesus uh, was the fulfillment of of what was spoken through the prophets, and Jesus saw himself as the source and the substance of all the scriptures. So in your Bible, when you split it down the middle, uh, the Old Testament is telling, foretelling, and foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ. Um, the New Testament is working in light of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is uh, telling and prophesying and hinting and shadow, foreshadowing all of the work of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus didn't um, come to abolish the scriptures. He came to fulfill the scriptures. And so what I want to do just for a moment is to give some cultural relevance uh, to this topic of the idea as an individual, as a prophet. In today's time, um, you perhaps are familiar with uh, the religion called Mormonism. Um, Joseph Smith is an individual who would re be regarded, uh, he was born in 1805, lived to 1844, uh, he would be regarded as a prophet. Um, I would say he's absolutely a false prophet, uh, not at all a true prophet um, by uh, the scripture standards, um, but he is regarded like uh, Moses or Elijah. Um, he claimed himself that he was uh, that had kind of like, uh, he had this uh, blessing on his life that he was a part of this royal priesthood as well. He was visited by an angel by the name of Moroni, which sounds a little bit more like suspicious, like moron without the eye. And um, the Bible tells us in Galatians that if anybody is ever visited by an angel and tells about another gospel or another idea that's contrary to scripture, that that person ought to be accursed. So the Apostle Paul basically says, there is no more further revelation. You don't just self-appoint yourself as a prophet, even if you have this spiritual encounter where you're saying that you heard from God or an angel or a creature or something, you can't take that as authoritative. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Um, what I want to do just for a moment is to give some clarifications about profit and, and, uh, for just a moment. I've got, I do need to give the disclaimer. I do have Mormon friends, and I think Christians ought to have Mormon friends. It's not hard to be friends with a Mormon, right? I mean, they're really nice people. If you're a Mormon, you're probably really a nice person. I mean, Mormons are just nice people. They do a lot of good works. They do a lot of good things. I mean, uh, you're not going to find a Mormon driving down the highway on a Harley-Davidson uh, with hell's angels uh, vest and giving you the bird if they want to fly by you. 
you know, you're just not going to find that. They're the nicest people in the world. I mean, and why is that? It's because they have an enormous weight that they are to do good works. I read a research article this morning. It says, depression among Mormon women. It says, overall, about a fifth are currently identified, identified Mormons say that they have taken or are currently taking medications for depression. The numbers are definitely higher for Mormon women more than uh, men, uh, almost twice the number of Mormon men. Um, why is that? What's going on here? I, they have a need to feel, be perfect, to be the best wife, to do all these wonderful things, and, and it's just impossible. Um, the Mormon doctrine is confused, and it's not historical Christian doctrine. Joseph Smith is their great prophet. Um, that is not true. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, I'll walk through just a couple of doctrines that are very different from what I would call historical Christian doctrines so that, here's why, so that you can either backstep out of your Mormon cultural experience or your Mormon beliefs, or that you can be more intelligently informed on how to communicate with Mormons and do it in a way that's filled with grace and truth. Amen? So, um, one is the deity of Jesus Christ. Any cult, and I'll call Mormonism a cult, it always attacks the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, deity of Jesus Christ means that Jesus is God. Mormons believe that Jesus is like the spirit child and that he evolves into his godhood. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, Jesus is, was 100% God and he was eternally existed and was, took on flesh and, at Bethlehem and he takes on humanity. Um, the deity of Jesus Christ is a very different perspective in Mormonism. Also, the doctrine of God. Mormonism teaches the idea that Adam, you know, Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, Adam actually became a God. Um, that is not what our Bible teaches. So there's some very clear di differences. And so the question is, where does this come from? Who, who teaches this stuff? Well, Joseph Smith was visited by the, the moronic angel, I'm going to call him, the moronic angel, which was really a demon. It, that's what it was. It's not an angel. It's a demon. Demons can manifest themselves and parade themselves and look like an angel. So the angel, the demon, tells him all these things, and they have the Bible that you and I have, plus, but it's all been reinterpreted, plus they have part of their canon of Scripture, the Book of Mormon, plus they have the doctrines of the covenant, plus they have the pearl of great price. And so uh, these are three, these are several different additions to their uh, source of authority, which is completely in contrast with what I would call historical biblical truth. So it's hard to argue with the Mormon because they're adding all these extra things as their source of authority to the scriptures. Um, and they're looking to Joseph Smith as the great prophet. And our Bible says that Jesus Christ is that great prophet. So, a prophet is somebody who reveals truth and speaks truth. So, you can imagine during the 1800s, which is in a great period of American history, like it's a really cool season in our country's uh, formation and expansion towards the West. You have a guy like Joseph Smith, who I believe was demonically empowered with supernatural uh, gifts and abilities to some level to spread a heresy that has infected and affected millions of people now. And uh, they've confused the deity of Christ, the doctrine of God, the Trinity. Um, those of you that understand biblical theology, you have the Trinity. 
Um, Catholics and Protestants hold to the same concept of Trinity. You have God the Father, help me out, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right, right? Uh, one God, three persons. I know, it's confusing. Uh, Mormons say, no, God, the Father is God. Jesus is not. Jesus is, and the Spirit are more like counselors. They assist God. Um, it's very confusing, and so you have it. You have false prophets. The Bible tells us that there will be false prophets that will rise up. How many of you have ever been to a charismatic church before or Pentecostal church or AG church, Assemblies of God, and somebody says, well, prophet so-and-so has a word from the Lord for you. You ever been there before? Raise your hand. Some of you were probably much like me. You were terrified. You're like, oh my gosh, where is that door? And you're ready to run out of there. It can be very scary when somebody proclaims himself to be a prophet. The Bible tells us that nobody appoints himself to be a prophet. Nobody does that. Prophets are called by God. Um, The prophetic office, let me clarify, the prophetic office, I believe that the Bible teaches, died out with the age of the apostles. So I'm not saying that there's no prophetic uh, uh, carryover where there's some role, but the role of office where you had individuals saying, thus saith the Lord, is, is gone. And so in the charismatic churches, the Assembly of God churches, the Pentecostal churches, if they say they're a prophet, I would ask them, what do you mean by that? Because the prophet in the Old Testament, if you gave a prophecy, a prediction, and it didn't come to complete fulfillment, the the standard was you got to be stoned to death. Um, So uh, you will see this in culture. Um, My argument to you is that you understand and you look just to Jesus Christ as the prophet the greatest prophet of all. And I want to encourage you in conversations with you're having with people is to ask questions of what they mean. If you hear somebody say, well, prophet so-and-so or prophet so-and-so, sometimes in the charismatic circles, what they actually mean when the guy says he's a prophet, which I wouldn't use that office or title, they mean that he has the gift and ability to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to proclaim truth really quickly, spontaneously. But that, that's not the same level of office that's in the New Testament. What they could do in the New Testament is saying, you're lying, God spoke to me, I know that, that is a lie, and then cre- do a miracle right in front of them. Um, Jesus is the greatest uh, prophet. Jesus is the greatest priest. Um, number two, who is Jesus? He's the high priest. Bible tells us, we'll go back to the outline, so those of you who are taking notes, um, how many of you guys have been in an Anglican church, Episcopalian church, or any church where there's priests? Raise your hand. Or Catholic church. There you go. Um, I served in an Anglican church for just a short period of time when I was down at Dallas Seminary, and we referred to the head pastor or whatever as Father Henry. That was his name. Big guy, loved Jesus. I was really proud of the Anglican church. They were breaking away from the Episcopalian church. The Episcopalian church went hyper-liberal, were abandoning scriptures and the authority of scripture. And my Anglican church uh, friends were actually doing a really good job preserving the integrity and honesty, truthfulness of scripture and standing up for what was right. And so there was a big split. But I was working on staff for just a short little period of time while I was down at Dallas Seminary. And they invited me while I was there at Dallas Seminary to join the priesthood. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Father Ryan... <laughs> Uh, on Halloween one time I did wear a priest outfit and I was like, this isn't going to work for me now. I'm good. Uh, 
But uh, Jesus is the priest. He's the high priest. And so what does the Bible say about that? Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Um, This would have been a proof text for the famous reformer Martin Luther um, when he was coming against the uh, corruption in his day of the Catholic Church. That was really restricting access for believers to understand Scripture, to read the Bible. Back then, 1500s, um, the the Scriptures were all written in Latin. Um, The people uh, were not allowed to read the Bible for themselves. Today, my guess is you have a phone in your hand and you have probably 50, 60 translations. You have different languages. I mean, Bibles are free now everywhere. Um, Luther protested and said, we have a great high priest. We don't need a high priest in the church to go to. We can actually go to him. Uh, He's done it all. Jesus is his name, and let us hold fast to our confession. What is that confession? Here it is in verses 15 through 16. Let's look. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is a high priest that you have. Let me walk through this passage just for a few moments. The Bible tells us that this is a high priest. Uh, His name is Jesus, and he is a, uh, a high priest who can, he's able to sympathize with your weakness and my weakness. Um, some of us have a lot more weaknesses than others, and maybe we think that we don't have equal access and authority to God because we've been messing up a lot. The good news about Jesus Christ is, is that um, He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His character never changes. Uh, when Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, He kept His humanity. So even from heaven right now, Jesus can sympathize with you and all of your shortcomings, all of your sin, all of your struggle, all of your doubt. He can do that. Why can he do that? Because he's 100% man. This is a unique uh, character trait of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that I don't believe God the Father has nor God the Holy Spirit has. Jesus Christ can sympathize with you because he's 100% man. God the Father is not 100% man. God the Holy Spirit is not 100% man. Jesus Christ is 100% man and 100% God. There is something powerful there for you and I because he knows what we're going through. He knows betrayal. He knows loneliness. He knows suffering. He knows pain. The Bible tells us he knows temptations, but yet he is without sin. You have a God who is not distant, but very close. You have a God that no matter if you're a backsliding Christian, you have an incredible covenant of grace and love over your life that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you still get access You may think that when you screw up, somehow God is like, man, forget it. I can't deal with you anymore. This is not the God that we read about in the New Testament. 
This is not the God we find in the Scriptures. You can draw near to Him. You can come with confidence to the throne of grace. Why is that? Is it something that you have done? Is it something that maybe you will do? No, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. The work is that good. Remember, he's, he's the priest, so he offers the sacrifice for you. So you can look to Jesus Christ and know that every sin that you commit, have committed, and will commit is covered because Jesus, help me out, paid it all. He paid it all. So there's no question there should be a, a lower a rate of anxiety, a lower rate of depression, a lower rate of suicide, because you have a great eternal peace in your life when you understand that there's nothing that you can do that's going to um, lose your status with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. He's a great high priest. He offers sacrifices for you. He's already offered the sacrifice and paid it all, and he gave himself as that ultimate sacrifice. There's a couple of books I want to recommend for those of you that are curious about this uh, more closely. Um, one book is called Gentle and Lowly. Um, I know there's a number of you that are reading the book right now in our church. It's an incredible about the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, it's by Dane Ortland. Um, another one is uh, called All of Grace by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And you and I, I think perhaps we can relate to Jesus Christ as our high priest, perhaps more than any other office that he holds to. Uh, it's very unique in the Trinity. Um, he knows temptation, but he's like the doctor. When you go visit a doctor and the doctor uh, is dealing with your sickness or your illness, and then he says to you, I know what you're going through. I've been there before. I myself have gone through that. Or when you have a friend who's going through a significant hardship and your friend puts their hand on your shoulder and says to you, I've been there before, I know exactly what you're feeling. You have a greater sense of peace and assurance that somebody understands what you're dealing with. Um, my wife and I, we adopted a child. Um, we fostered and then we adopted. And sometimes we'll connect with parents and it's great. But then when you connect with another foster or adoptive parent, they know exactly what we've gone through. And there's some kind of peace about that, knowing that common suffering and hardship and challenge that there can be. This is our Lord. He is like you, but he's not like you. He is 100% man, yet he's 100% God. So he knows every struggle that you have, every frustration that you face, and he doesn't throw his arms up and says, I wish you would just get over it and, and get with it. Um, he is uh, safe and secure. First uh, Timothy 2.5 says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is perhaps, if you come out of a Catholic background, this is a very powerful, important verse for you. What this means is that you do not need to pray to Mary. What this means is that you do not need to pray to other saints. This means that you have one mediator, you don't have to uh, look to the Pope or be under the Catholic Church in the apostolic succession with the, 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 the true church. Uh, you don't even have to go to the pastor to connect with God. You can, every single day of your life, access God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ anytime you want. Some people ask me, how should I pray? Should I pray to God the Father or should I pray to Jesus? Pray to either. 
They're the same person, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. But you, as a believer, you have a high priest. There's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is greater. Therefore, we don't have to pray to a, another person or have a, a mediator such as a pastor or a pope or a priest. You, you don't have to have somebody in your life in order for you to connect with God. You can be anywhere. You can be on vacation. You can be at work. You can be at church. You can be anywhere. And you have one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. Lastly, we should see Jesus as king. He rules over uh, the church. So every church that you see, Jesus is king over that church. He rules over the entire universe. He rules over the whole world. He is king above kings. He's the Lord of all lords. This is our King Jesus. Uh, years ago, I went to Spain and visited and visited some of the castles. And in these castles was the throne for the kings. And I saw that. And it was powerful and majestic. And I thought to myself, man, that's awesome. But what's more awesome is knowing that we have a king of kings and every powerful and authoritative experience that we have or see something majestic, it's just a foreshadowing. Uh, Jesus is the king above all kings. Uh, this is what the angels said about the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 33. It says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give to him the throne, that's king language, of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. This is a king, our king, Jesus. He rules and he reigns at the father's right hand today. The Bible tells us he's coming back. He will set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus is king. Um, this is why you see some churches that say, Christ the king, uh, and this is the name of their church. Uh, it is true, he is king. After the miracle of Jesus, other people thought. Uh, let's look at John's gospel earlier we had read. When Jesus had performed the, the miracle and fed the multitudes, it says uh, uh, that basically Jesus perceived then that they were about to come to him and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdraws again to the mountain by himself. People thought that Jesus was a king or could be a king. They were, wanted to make him a king and, and uh, run and rule over the nation of Israel. But Jesus does, rejects that, and he's going to pursue his, God's plan for his uh, kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And then uh, Jesus himself preached about the kingdom. Matthew 4.17 says, For the time, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, that means to turn away from sin, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Jesus uh, saw himself as the fulfillment that he is a king, and he's establishing his kingdom. Uh, the Bible tells us this is going to happen, and after Jesus commissioned his disciples, uh, look at this, Matthew 28, 18, the tagline on the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He talks about all authority. He is the king with all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him, that is Jesus Christ. And then finally, in closing, Revelation 19.60, uh, when we see the second return of Jesus Christ, his, his second coming, the Bible tells us that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written on it, help me out, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is King. Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a priest, and Jesus is king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Today, we're coming to you and asking for you to be everything we need. You already are. We just ask that we would acknowledge that, help our hearts to see that. Thank you that you are able to sympathize with us. Thank you that you're powerful like, a, like king, and you, can, you rule and you reign. Thank you that you speak truth. And so, Lord, we acknowledge you today, and we want to bend our motives and our will towards you in areas that need changing and reforming. Uh, we pray that we would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.